Let's get ready for some football. NFL season kickoff eight days away for those of you catching this episode on the day of its release. So consider this a dress rehearsal of sorts for the Props and Hops podcast. Here to join the party, Sharp Clark, an NFL originator, an analyst at 4 for 4. You can catch him as a stalwart on the Move the Line podcast. And you can definitely follow him on Twitter if you're not doing so already at Sharp Clark NFL. That's Clark with an E at the end. Sharp Clark, welcome back to Props and Hops. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot for having me. And and I also, also want to say a special thanks to you. You were the first person to reach out to me last offseason to be on a podcast. And that meant a lot to me at the time. I was very green. I'm still very green, but I don't think anyone really knew who I was. And, and that meant a lot to me that you saw my process through uh, through my Twitter and everything else. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I always try to do the best I can to embrace new perspectives and not just get too stuck in in the bubble of what I already know to be really strong. And it's so encouraging on my end when there's something really promising from a quote unquote newcomer on the scene. So I uh, was really happy to see you start to come across my timeline. And it's been awesome to see you really take off since we had that first conversation on this show. I think it's round three on props and hops right now. Uh, so we'll look to see how we can leverage uh, all that growth that uh, you've worked on and earned ever since that first conversation. And I think a good starting place would be tying back to my episode last week. I, I released a solo episode kind of sharing a podcast game plan for the upcoming NFL season. And a big part of the thought process was taking things back to the roots in a sense. When I started this show, unlike yourself, I know that I'm, I'm not much of an originator, but I do think that I'm good at identifying sharp people in the space who share good actionable information and distilling that for others. So I've said I like to think of curation as my form of creation. And while you are an originator, I know that you also absorb a lot of information from different sources. So I'd be curious to kick this off by asking perhaps about one thing you've learned this offseason by listening to or connecting with other people. Sure. I a mentor of sorts is a mutual friend of ours, Las Vegas Chris, um, who is yes. a person who will tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. And that's something I really value. Um, and and he's always helped me out throughout this whole process. And this offseason, he's been helping me deal with uh, kind of the struggles of, of being a public facing uh, persona that also bets, right? Because I'm at the point where, you know, I'm gaining market influence, more people have visibility into what I'm doing. And that could potentially have an impact on the value of the bets I'm making on my own. It's not an issue that I've faced before. It's something that has has kind of hit me this year. Um, so he's helped me to kind of like keep tight lipped about some things like what kind of things can you say publicly? What kind of things should you keep behind the curtain? Um, how can you provide value to your listeners and followers uh, without, you know, sacrificing some kind of edge that you have like, He's been helping me with that. And I think um, that's been really valuable for me to kind of take in this offseason. I'm glad you went with something that was more process driven, a bit more philosophical. Not a surprise hearing that from you, especially, you know, knowing a guy like Las Vegas, Chris. And while I can support everything you said, I kind of went the other way, something maybe a bit more prescriptive from a betting standpoint. And maybe it's the time of year we're in, but thinking about futures and looking to embrace the long tail where it makes sense. And before we had agreed on a time and date to bring you on the show, I, I thought of you and what you've said with your work with 444 about this topic. Also, somebody like G Stack George Silfidis on his podcast, The Monday Grind, early on in the offseason. I caught a lot of that from him. Somebody like Cleve TA and his NFL preview, which is a great free resource for betters everywhere. I just had never really thought that much about futures in the sense of embracing that long tail to the right possible positive outcomes. Basically, I think I had ignored it for a while because I've been pretty much trained, a lot of it imposed by myself, I guess self-training, if you will, to rarely place what I think of as non-binary bets. So most of the time, if I'm placing a bet, it's going to be on team A or team B the over or the under, a yes or a no. I found that with a lot of these needle in a haystack bets, big plus numbers can often look really appealing, but they're rarely big enough once we really dive in and consider the true probabilities. That said, when we look at futures markets, that might be one good time to consider breaking the rules of thumb that I just outlined. I think part of it can be that it justifies tying up bankroll. Oftentimes, if we're chasing big plus numbers and that long tail to the right, we're tying up less money 
when we're looking for those bigger payouts. And also sometimes as much as I try to be disciplined and think about bankroll management and plus EV with my, you know, my own bankroll over time, emotional EV means something. Last year, you turned me on to the Chiefs at 14 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Thank you very much, by the way. And that was a really fun bet to write out. It doesn't always give you a sweat till the end. But when it does, if you've made a good bet that's got a lot of equity banked by the time we get to the later stages of the season, that just makes it really fun as a fan as well as a better. So I've definitely rethought my futures approach over the course of this offseason. Yeah, totally. Another guy on Twitter who's great about that is is clars 20 at clars 24 mm-hmm. he, he does golf outrights and then he does nfl betting um and i think his approach when you do a lot of golf outrights you're used to laying these big numbers and you're just saying like he's he's an actuary so he's all about the numbers and he kind of hammers in for me sometimes like like he's like you know i played this and i'm like oh i would never play that he's like well at some price you would right and i'm like i mean i guess and he's like he has a price on every single thing you know and it's like that t- type of numbers thinking is something that I that I also have learned from this offseason. And thinking about putting that into practice, it's just about last call for futures. I, I guess it's fair to caveat that people can bet futures in season. That's becoming more widely adopted at a lot of sports books. But fair to assume lots of bettors will be looking to get down on futures in this next week and change before the season kicks off. So Sharp Clark, to kick this section off if you had to bet one team to win the super bowl right now at current odds who would it be i bet on the bills 11 to 1 at circa um the von miller news is not great he's gonna start the year on pup uh but i don't i don't think that's necessary a lot of people are scared off this is kind of similar to the chiefs last year where a lot of people are scared off by the other teams in the division by questions about where they're going from here after a tough loss in the playoffs last year but bottom line is you know Trusting my system, the Bills are the best team in the NFL when you account for offense and defense. And yes, their division is tough, but I think whoever wins that division is going to be very battle-tested and ready for the playoffs. And I actually think that the gap between them and the other teams in the division is actually much wider than the perception. I think they are clearly the best team in their division. Um, and, And so in the AFC playoffs, anything can happen. But what you need is an elite quarterback that can make plays uh, and a defense that can defend the pass. Now, if they do the same game plan that they rolled out against the Bengals in the playoffs last year, like they might be toast against someone like the Bengals or the chiefs. Uh, I'm just kind of trusting that Sean, Mc- Sean McDermott kind of understands that. And part of the reason why Leslie Frazier moved on was to allow them to kind of remake themselves on defense. They have the talent. Um, so they need to just make better game plans and better adjustments in game. And if they do that, then I think they can be the best team. And so 11 to one uh, for me is, is good odds on, on a team that sh- will likely be, you know, four to one, six to one, seven to one at most when the playoffs start, assuming nothing derails their season between now and then. You mentioned the Bills should all go according to plan in the regular season, likely being much more battle tested this time around when the playoffs arrive. And when I think of that possibility, they may well be battle tested. And that might mean that as a division winner, they could be the best team in the league, but not have the best record. Maybe they're 11 and six or 12 and five and looking up at a team. I mean, it's, it's been annual for the last five years, like Kansas city hosting the AFC title game. When it comes to thinking about the playoff path with a Super Bowl futures bet like this in mind, how much value do you give to a team being battle tested and how much do you consider the other side of it where maybe a team's not as battle tested, but if they've got that coveted one seed in a first round by, we know that can make a big difference as well. Yeah, the one seed matters, home field matters, those those things are relevant. But I tend to think that the for the better teams in the league, the very top teams, having what looks like a tough schedule is less of an angle that I want to play into because one schedule difficulty changes every year as as we as the season unfolds, things happen that are unexpected. And two, like having tough teams on the schedule for a team like the Bills doesn't really scare me. Like I think they're going to win 12 or 13 games. Um, and I understand that, like, you know, the markets right now kind of project maybe around 11. Um, I think that's a little low. Um, but I do think that that stuff matters. But I don't think, don't think it's the only thing that matters. Last year, they hosted that playoff game against the, the Bengals and got beat by 17, right? Um, and I think that Josh Allen is the type of quarterback that can go on the road in the playoffs with the experience that he's had over the last few years and beat a good team on the road. Um, we've seen that happen, too. So I, I think I think it matters. I think it obviously kicks that number. Uh, the percentages down when when they have to play on the road, especially. But if they're in the wild card round as a division winner, 
I would favor them over any wildcard team in the AFC um, and probably by a good bit. Some of these teams, especially how they look at the end of the year, you know, like we saw last year, the way the Ravens and Dolphins stumbled into the playoffs, like things like that happen all the time. So um, I don't put too much stock into that at this point in the season. I'm trying to put my money on the teams that can win it all. And then we'll deal with that down the road. And I know we're talking about a Super Bowl bet that I positioned to you as if you had to bet one team today at current prices, who would it be? I'll try to tee you up more clearly for future questions here. But just because you made the case for the Bills, if you had to make a bet, doesn't necessarily mean that you you do like the bet. Would you say at 11-1 to 1 right now you would still fire on Buffalo? Or, or is there anything with the way the numbers moved over the course of the offseason that gun to your head you'd make the play? But if you had the choice, you would just back off at this stage. I bet it yesterday. <laughs> okay we're talking serious business here i love it well um I, I will stay with a line at circa and this will be a fun one because i think we'll see eye to eye on a lot of this conversation but the team i'll get to in a second i, I think you might disagree with so this could be a fun back and forth uh first off i want to give a shout out to paulie howard with visa and he does great work with mitch moss um on follow the money and he posed this question during a David Molinsky memorial meal that I had with him and Mitch and my good friends, Mike Roselli and the aforementioned Las Vegas Chris at Lotus of Siam right before Bet Bash kicked off. And it, it just had me thinking ever since Paulie posed this question, I feel like I've thought about 10 different teams right now. Sharp Clark, I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns at 36 to one, seeing that number at Circa in Nevada and first off, I like that we're both talking about Circa for a bet like this, because I think it's worth giving Circa some props for offering a two-way market in futures like Super Bowl outrights. Most books will not offer no prices for futures like this. So I think it's great to see that, okay, there's a big plus number, but there's a you know even bigger minus number attached to it. So think about that true probability. And, and when it comes to the true price, again, I don't think the Browns are likely by any means to win the Super Bowl, but at 36 to one, I feel like, maybe there's enough there to have some interest and Mike Rosselli, who was again, part of this initial conversation, I think got to the Browns a lot sooner than I did. As I've thought about it, I know that Deshaun Watson is a very polarizing player in more ways than one right now, but I think the odds of him acclimating to the Cleveland system, getting a full off season and full on-ramp into a regular season to get ready could be promising for his outlook and that of the Browns as a whole. I know Hitman has gone in rare form to the over on Deshaun Watson's regular season passing yards prop. And if somebody as sharp as Hitman is bullish on what Watson can do, then I feel like that's a positive sign. The rest of the roster, if all goes well with Watson, it could really come together. Nick Chubb is a superstar. Cleveland is really stout in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And when making a bet like this, I try not just to think about a specific team, but something like the variance that might need to take place to, to break right to make this more of a clear path for Cleveland. And when I look at their division, probably the best division in the league top to bottom, but some potential variance for everybody in the AFC North. I think there's a lot to like about the Ravens, but with their new offensive coordinator and integrating a new scheme, that might take some time on the other side of the ball. This might be the worst Ravens defense we've seen in a long time. The Bengals bring a lot to like, but Joe Burrow, is that injury going to linger at all? Uh, right now, it seems like prices assume he's going to be at full strength. If he's hampered at all, that could potentially drag down what the Bengals can accomplish this season. And then the Steelers, I know everybody loves to say they don't have a losing season under Mike Tomlin, and they've been dynamite in the preseason. I am curious to see just how real some of this improvement for Kenny Pickett is going to look when he's getting more reps against other team starters. So I don't expect the Steelers to be a slouch, but also perhaps not as dominant as we've seen this preseason. One thing I'll note that you've gone on record as saying is the culture in Cleveland. As much as you tend to look at numbers and, and think about things analytically, it's fair to wonder with a guy like Watson, with a lot of just the Browns current regime, is that culture going to crack? That's a fair question to have. I just think that again, while it's unlikely that Cleveland wins the Super Bowl, it takes a lot to go right in-house and a lot to go wrong across a division and conference for a bet like this to cash. But that said, crazy things happen all the time. And I just feel like a lot of other teams with Cleveland's upside are priced in the high teens or low twenties. So if I'm getting them at 36 to one, I just feel like I don't have to squint too, too hard to see this have some life come the end of the regular season and potentially in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I can't go there. Um, I like when I think about tail outcomes, I try to I try to build off what I've actually seen, right? I don't have to have actually seen it, but I have to have seen something that makes me think that that next step is coming. Like kind of like the Jaguars last year. What what I saw in the Jaguars three and thirteen season was a quarterback who was playing really well under the circumstances and with a better surrounding cast and with better coaching, I could see that step forward to where he could actually be the type of playmaker that makes those plays that wins games. With Deshaun Watson, I didn't see anything last year. I also wasn't a big fan of him when he was in Houston. So this has kind of been a long time thing where I've been against Deshaun Watson. And we talk a little bit about culture. One of the things that I've criticized about Watson in the past is his on-field body language. I think that he's very sort of pouty and disengaged a lot of times with the rest of his team. And this was dating back to Houston. And then this past preseason game, uh, he fumbled two snap or two handoffs or he or the running back, whoever you want to assign blame to twice fumbled the ball. And both times he just kind of turned around and threw up his hands like a, you know, like whining about it. And it was just such a like negative display of emotion. And like these types of things aren't, they don't show up in the analytics. And so I understand that people don't want to follow these kinds of stuff, but I'm looking for when I'm looking for a team to take a step forward, I'm looking for leadership. I'm looking for those qualities that, you know, translate to teams reaching their potential. And I don't see that in Cleveland. Um, they do have a really, really good a team on paper. So I could be eating my words here um, if, if Watson can kind of put it together. But I haven't seen anything that would suggest that they are close to the caliber of maybe five of the teams in the AFC. And that's a massive hurdle. It'd be a little bit different if they were in the NFC and could kind of sneak by. But no one's sneaking by this AFC playoff field. Yeah, that's a fair critique. I just feel like I see some upside for them that matches a lot of teams that I'm seeing priced differently. So it's not so much that I love the Browns. I just think at 36 to one, that price struck me as a bit of an outlier, but we'll see how this goes. Uh, moving on from Super Bowl futures, I'd also love to talk regular season wins, a very popular topic at this time of year. So Sharp Clark, if you had to bet one regular season win total at current odds, oh, what would it be? And in addition to me making you force a play here, feel free to also clarify whether you would just do it with a gun to your head or if you actually do like it at the current price. I So I probably would play this if I didn't already have exposure. Um, the, the bet that I like is Steelers under nine wins, minus 105 on Caesars. Um, I have exposure. <laughs> Sorry. Good for that Browns future. Yeah, right. You, you kind of brought it up, right? You mentioned the Steelers. I, I have a bet on them to miss the playoffs at minus 120, which I think is kind of a similar type of bet. I I don't agree with the level of hype the Steelers are getting in the betting markets. A lot of respected people are very bullish on the Steelers, um, in part because they finished the year so well last year, at least on paper. But if you go back and watch, like they were really, really bad before that final stretch. And that final stretch came against really bad teams. And against those really bad teams, they were run heavy. They ran more than they passed. They got more first downs running than they did passing. They won all those games by small margins, most of them, um, on you know last second plays by picket, uh, you know out of structure things like throwing a Najee Harris in the back of the end zone on like a wheel route. You know th these types of things are not typically sustainable, especially against good teams, because when good defenses shut down the run, that really changes the dynamic of this offense. So. You know, are they in position to take a step forward? Maybe, you know, like we've seen second year quarterbacks take a big step forward in years past. And Kenny Pickett could certainly take, you know, a big step. Matt Canada is still the offense coordinator. He did a terrible job last year, but maybe that was him kind of dumbing down the playbook for a rookie to not overwhelm him. Maybe he adds some things and some complexities and maybe Pickett stays in the pocket better rather than bailing out of clean pockets and making things harder on himself. But I just think it's a lot of ifs, a lot of projections that I don't think we have a lot of evidence for. Um, you know, a lot of people bring up, well, Tomlin always wins nine games. And it's like, when you look at last year, you know, him winning nine games was a lot of luck, a lot of variance at the end. Um, I just don't think that they're positioned to be as competitive as the other teams in their division. And so I'm, I'm fading that steam because an under nine wins bet requires them to win 10 games for you to lose. Um, I don't see the Steelers winning 10 games. Uh, I think it's much more likely to win eight than over over nine. I think one thing with Tomlin that it's taken me a while to wrap my head around, I still don't fully have my head wrapped around it, but I think I've come to accept 
there's something he's doing uh, aside from the decisions he makes that just piss off everybody with an analytics bent. Something about really leading a group of men. There's something controlling that locker room. I, I do think that he deserves a lot of credit for. It's not as quantifiable, so it's tough for a lot of quantitative betters to to really firmly calculate. So. I do think there's something there, but to your point, I don't think there's anything necessarily magic about that equating to never having a losing season and can't fault the notion for fading some of the recent hype the Steelers have gotten. I'll say that I'm also looking to fade some hype that's been building up for a while now, and that would be looking to play the Jets under their win total of nine and a half. I'm seeing that at even money at a leading regulated U.S. sports book as high as plus 120 at a prominent, albeit slightly square offshore book, but they do take some pretty respectable limits. But with this bet, I'll go ahead and channel our good friend Las Vegas Chris and his mantra to hurry up and wait. I think the hype for the Jets is still going to be peaking over this next week and change. A lot of recreational money still coming into the futures market. Most of that we can safely assume will be taking the Jets to the over rather than the under. And if I think back on my angle in this space as leaning on curation as a form of creation, I think about a lot of the consensus that I picked up on within Bet Bash and two regular season win totals that seem to be constant among people whom I really respect. One of them was the Cowboys to the over, and that's been hit pretty hard recently, so can't make any promises about value in the Cowboys over at this stage. But the second one was the Jets to the under with the caveat to wait and get the best of this number at post. There was even one pro better at Bet Bash who lives on the East Coast, and he's flying back across the country to Vegas next week, specifically to make bets like the Jets under at a better number right before the season kicks off in books across Nevada and Arizona. So thinking about the Jets specifically, just a bit of a handicap on this team, nine and a half juice to the over at a lot of books just really picks in way more upside than downside as far as I'm concerned. Aaron Rodgers wasn't setting the world on fire last season. I know pretty recently before that, we did see some elite form out of him, but he's going to turn 40 this season. And when it comes to the rest of the team, I think the Jets were pretty fortunate on the injury front last year. So if anything, we could see quite a bit of negative regression as far as that goes. And then you kind of called it out when I was talking about the Browns. The AFC is a gauntlet. So the Jets have a lot of talent, but so do a lot of the teams that they're going to play. So it's just tough for me to think the Jets are more likely than not to get to double-digit wins this coming season. Yeah, yeah, I don't hate it. I, I didn't take a position on that one because we've seen what Aaron Rodgers can do, and the defense is really good. So um, I, I I would lean under, especially at the prices you quoted, but that's one that I'm I'm hands-off for now. All right, well, from actively disagreeing with the Browns to not hating the Jets, but we're moving in the right direction. So we'll look to build on that trajectory as this continues. Uh, next up, I'll have a couple questions and I'll call out up front that the goal of discussing these next couple of bets we'll get to, not so much to boast about or, or dwell on numbers that may no longer be available, but largely to try to explore the process behind approaching the season with as many plus EV tickets in pocket as possible. So Sharp Clark, with that in mind, what's your favorite bet currently in your portfolio for this upcoming NFL season? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Falcons over seven and a half. I bet it plus 100 when it opened at, at DraftKings, and then I, I bet it minus 110 when it opened at FanDuel and minus 115, I think, at another book. So I had a bunch of exposure early on in the offseason based on the idea that they had a bunch of money to spend. Um, I was imp more impressed with Desmond Ritter film than I think most people are. And their offense is designed to make it easy for the quarterback. So Ritter doesn't actually have to be that good. Their offense creates a lot of um, simple concepts for the quarterback to read, you know, a couple layered routes where it's just kind of pick the open lane, uh, kind of like what Daniel Jones did in, in New York last year with Brand Dayball. Um, so I, li I like the system set up for them offensively. And when I started picking up those defensive players, I was like, okay, looking at their schedule, you know, they're in position to compete with every team they play. Like they don't have any tough teams on their schedule. I mean, the, the Jets are, you know, arguably going to be tough. The Lions might be tough. But really, that's it. Like, um, this is a this is a schedule that if they can just be an average team, they're going to win eight or nine games. And I think they can be an average team. But one thing I really like about it is because I got in early, uh, the lines moved all the way up to eight and a half, you know, just over. I actually played back one third of my stake on the under at eight and a half because, you know, as optimistic as I am about Desmond Ritter, it's not a guarantee. He could be terrible, right? So I want to make sure I have a little bit of coverage plus the 
you know, free shot at exactly eight wins and winning both sides of the bet. So that's, that's my favorite position that I have open right now. You've definitely carved out an advantageous position there. And to that last point, I think of a recent conversation I had with Fats and one of his mantras is you can't make a good bet, a better bet by adding on a bad bet. Not to say that you taking some Falcons under at a more appealing number is a bad bet, but when it comes to that decision you made, how much of it was looking specifically for that middle to try to cash both tickets, maybe a bit of a hedge, or how much of it was, had you not even played the Falcons over initially at a much more appealing price, would you still like them under as they really got a lot of hype as the offseason progressed? So I, I think there's, there's a, it's a good question. I, like mathematically, I would project eight and a half wins to be the median for the Falcons. So getting plus money on under eight and a half technically speaking, I think is a, is a plus EV bet based on my numbers. Uh, but it's not something I would play independently because for me, like a, a very small edge like that um, is not something I want to dive into, especially where we were talking about fat tails. Like I think the Falcons upside is much higher than the Falcons downside at this point. And so when I'm kind of building out narratives, like we are wrong about a lot right now, all of us, everyone in the industry is wrong about a ton of stuff. We don't know what that is yet. And so what I try to think about is what are the types of things that I could be wrong about? And I think when we're looking at the Falcons, we're more likely to be wrong on how bad Desmond Ritter is. We're more likely to be wrong to the downside. So I, I don't I wouldn't want an an unex, like an unexposed or an exposed under position on the Falcons without any coverage, because I think uh, the narratives in my mind are more likely to lead them to being better. So I only played it as a hedge and as a potential middle. I would not have played it independently, even though my numbers say it's slight value at at plus one, I think I got it plus 110. Now you can get it plus 120. Well, I'm glad that a little over 20 minutes into this show, we finally got some love for the NFC. And I will say I have more to talk on the Falcons and some other NFC topics to come. But as far as a favorite futures bet in the portfolio right now, I'll throw out another AFC look. Nick Chubb, Offensive Player of the Year. That was available at 40 to 1 earlier this offseason at one of my offshores. Um, not my credit for finding this one. I, I want to give credit where it's due. Adam Chernoff on the Simple Handicap broke down this bet. And part of my angle in identifying this as a favorite futures bet to have in the portfolio right now is just looking at what's happened in the market since then. At top regulated U.S. books, it's going to be tough, if not impossible, to get better than 18 to 1 on Chubb for Offensive Player of the Year right now. And the current price at a very well-respected offshore is as low as 14 to 1. So, Still a long shot, even at those numbers, let alone if 40 to 1 were a true probability. So not expecting this one to cash. But when we see a market move like this, I do think that even though it's not as efficient, uh, not nearly as efficient as full game point spreads or totals, th there is a nice delta there and values value. Worst case, kind of like what we talked about earlier with some of these futures with fat tails. Hopefully it's just going to be fun to root for down the stretch, if nothing else. Yeah, you're you're all in on the Browns. If if they have a great season and he wins offensive play of the year and they win the Super Bowl, you gotta take me out for a drink. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's the least I could do, especially after that Chiefs look that you tipped me off to last year. So I'm not gonna expect that to happen, but we'll gladly oblige if it somehow does come through. And yeah. on the flip side of some of these good bets that we're sitting on right now, uh, like you said, we're we're wrong about a lot. We often just don't know ahead of time what we're gonna be wrong about. And in some ways, the market has maybe already told us that we were wrong about bets that we made earlier in the offseason. So what would you identify as one bet currently in your portfolio that you would give back right now if given the opportunity? Probably. Um, so I, right when the when the offseason started, I bet the Steelers to win the AFC at 30 to 1. And I already talked about how I feel about the Steelers now. At the time, it looked like Lamar Jackson was not coming back to Baltimore at the time. It looked like Aaron Rodgers was going to retire after entering a dark room. Um, and I was thinking about how Kenny Pickett ended the season and all the things they could do to, to kind of take a step forward. With Lamar Jackson back in Baltimore, with Aaron Rodgers in New York, uh, the, the odds on the Steelers, uh, the, the, the acquisitions the Browns made, especially on the defensive line, um, I just don't I just don't feel good about them winning the AFC. It's 30 to one. So, you know, I'm not risking a ton, um, but I, I'm actually fortunate enough. I think that line is still out there, but it's not a it's not a market you can play back on. Right. Unless you have Circa. And even then, I don't think I can get get that kind of price. I'm fortunate enough to where like none of the bets that I've made in the futures market have moved against me. 
Um, and so that's, that's a, you know, I, I don't have any bets that I'm like, man, why did I make that? I have bets that I just don't feel the same way about. That's one of them. Vikings to win the divisions. Another one. I, I got it at, at plus three thirty, but I just, I don't know. I've kind of warmed up on some of the other teams in that division. And I, I just kind of, you know, maybe would have wished I didn't play that. You've warmed up on some other teams, but let's just say it's, it's probably not one of the teams like the Bears that have been getting a lot of hype elsewhere. I think we've got a bit more to come on that front. But I approach this question similar to you, where there's a number that hasn't moved against me, but it's just been more a case of information since then has taken a turn. So sticking with the offensive player of the year market, my only other bet in that market is Joe Burrow at 25 to 1. So I guess not all in on the Browns any longer, but still pretty all in on that AFC North. And at a respected offshore right now, it's down to 18 to one. So part of me is just fine. Letting it ride got some value there potentially. But for context here, I bet Burrow on July 27th. This is another one that Adam Turnoff tipped me off to. This time it was through the Right Angle Sports app. He had a, a pretty compelling write up in there, I thought. But later that same day, July 27th, Burrow gets carted off the practice field with a calf injury. So I think this is just a cautionary tale when looking at futures. Just beware the dangers of the unknown. I think that once the season kicks off, we hopefully won't see this, but there might be a really good player who goes down on the first play or early in a game in week one. That doesn't mean that your futures bet on that player would deserve a refund or that you got a bad beat. That's just something that unfortunately comes with a territory in the NFL. And please consider that and manage your bankrolls accordingly would be my little PSA to weave in is a, a way through answering this question. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's move on from some futures talk to the regular season itself. Week one, just a touch more than a week away. And over the course of the season, I'm going to be asking guests on this show, ideally for one side, one teaser and one prop each week. Going to try to weave in plenty of process and make sure this is not purely a picks show, but where there are picks that could be actionable, certainly want to delve into that side of things as well. So, Sharp Clark, looking at the week one board right now, if you had to bet one side, what would it be? Lions plus six and a half. Uh, you can get it minus 102 on FanDuel right now, minus 105. Some shops, minus 110 is pretty standard, although uh, some of the books like Circa have already moved to six on this. Um, I bet this plus seven for a max bet earlier in the offseason. And, and part of the reason was uh, kind of like what you said, when you're making bets, you have to think about variance. And with that spread, there was more likely something favorable. If something unfavorable happened to one team or the other, it would hurt the Chiefs more. And what has happened is Chris Jones is likely not going to be playing this game um, and maybe more. But without Chris Jones and without Charles Amenehu, who's been suspended, the Chiefs defensive line has you know, very little teeth, very little you know, strength up front. And the Lions offense is built to capitalize against weak defensive fronts. When they can win the offensive line battle and they're an elite offensive line, Jared Goff can orchestrate a competent offense and move the ball up and down the field and churn up a lot of clock, which can slow the game down, reduce the number of possessions and limit the advantage that the Chiefs have over the Lions, which they would need to press in order to cover a big spread like this against a good offense. So this isn't a, you know, the Lions defense is going to shut down Mahomes take. Uh, this is more of a take about the way that our brains think about this is that, oh, well, the Chiefs offense is so good and the Lions defense is so bad, they're going to score in every possession. But I've only watched one NFL game where the offense scored a touchdown on every possession, and that was the the Bills playoff game against the Patriots a couple years ago. It doesn't happen very often. Drops happen. You know, you, you run the ball a couple times. You got a third and seven, and there's a bad snap, or there's a drop, or there's a holding penalty. You got third and seventeen. Like things happen in in the course of an NFL game that just derail drives. And if the Lions can turn up the clock and score touchdowns, it's going to be very difficult for the Chiefs to blow out the Lions and put them away on, in the opening night. So I like this bet uh, at plus six and a half. I liked it more at plus seven, but without Chris Jones, this is still a great bet at six and a half. I think for a lot of bettors, knowing that plus seven had been out there and now that six and a half is the line and a seven is pretty much non-existent in the betting marketplace, that might push a lot of people who want to be sharper betters to pass because they think they didn't get the best of the number. And I think being mindful of numbers is a really valuable part of the approach. But I've also tried to instill in myself that missing the best of the number does not necessarily mean that you've missed a bettable number. So it's a little bit of a, a, an interesting juxtaposition there. What's your viewpoint on this game? Knowing the spread was at seven and now it's at six and a half. I know you still like six and a half, but when this happens, when you know that you're not getting the best of the number, but something might still be bettable, how do you juggle that 
delicate balance from a mental standpoint more than anything else. Yeah, it can be tough, but you just have to play the number that you have available at the time. And if it had never been seven and it was plus six and a half, I would still like plus six and a half. Although, you know, psychologically, I probably wouldn't bet it at six and a half because, you know, the movement to seven is more significant than the movement to six. But seeing a couple six show up, uh, you know, Circa is taking $20,000 bets on the spread for week one right now. And they're at six, which I think says something um, that, you know, some other sharps obviously agree with me. Um, doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean I'm right. But I think at this point, the seven is long gone. The only the only way the seven would ever come back is if Chris Jones signed right now and got in game shape and, and played this game. Without Chris Jones, this is six and a half is, is the ceiling. Um, so I think you just have to take it game by game and and not be afraid to bet a number that maybe isn't the best number that ever existed, but learn, you know, why did I miss the number? You know, was it something that I missed in my handicap? Or was it something where the information changed? If it's information based, then don't beat yourself up about it. Things happen. If it's something you missed, you know, process wise, then think about how you might have been able to identify that line earlier and bet it when you could, um, unless you're betting at higher limits, which, you know, is a whole nother story. But that's kind of how I take it is, is you, every bet is a point in time decision. Um, and you can't let external factors in, impact a, a good decision. Well said, and I'm going to look at a game similarly where the best of the number is probably gone, but I don't think it means it's no longer bettable. And I am going to look at the Rams plus four and a half at Seattle in week one. Another hat tip to Las Vegas, Chris. He's not even here, and yet he has become the star of this show. He was the first person I, I saw make a good case for the Rams in this matchup. And I would advise waiting just a bit for those with the patience um, to your point, sometimes the best of the number goes and it's gone for good. But there is some asymmetric risk here. If there is any big surge to Seattle, maybe we see plus six reappear. I doubt it. But at it, it, four and a half, I don't think there is necessarily any sort of rush. And looking at the game itself, I would say that I agree with a lot of people being low on the Rams over the arc of the season. This is a really fragile team with basically nothing on the field once they get past Stafford, Cup, and Donald. Sean McVay might be worn down by the grind of all this sooner rather than later. I don't have to squint to see the Rams letting go of the rope at some point this season, but we're talking about a week one matchup here. This is when the Rams are going to be as close as they'll ever be most likely to a team at full strength. At least entering this game, they're going to be tied with everybody else for first place. So I think we see the Rams put their best foot forward in week one. And this matchup specifically reminds me of an interesting game of rock, paper, scissors that seems to be taking place across the elites of this division over the years. I think that Drew Dinsick and Andy Molitor have done a good job talking about this from time to time on the Deep Dive podcast, where it seems like Seattle gets the upper hand against San Francisco. San Francisco then seems to have the upper hand over the Rams. And yet the Rams seem to have the upper hand over Seattle when these teams go head to head. It's not foolproof. It's not anything to bet blind. But keeping in mind that saying styles make fights, there's something about the way that the Rams have matched up with the Seahawks. Maybe it's a McVay Carroll kind of thing. We do have continuity with these head coaches in this matchup. There's just something that I like about the Rams here. And I would say that if we were looking at the same line for the same matchup in week 17, I highly doubt I would like the Rams. But in week one, I just think it's a different story. Yeah, agreed. The, the teams are heading in different directions, but right now this is probably the best the Rams will be all year. <laughs> we'll see if they can come out of week one with anything to show for that against the spread, if not outright. And Sharp Clark moving on from week one sides, a lane that I like to spend a lot of time in, teasers. If you had to bet a week one teaser right now, given the current board, which two teams would you look to hone in on? I typically do not bet teasers week one, you know, as we know, teasers benefit from certainty and the, the sharper the lines, the more effective they are week one. We have no idea what's going on. If I had to, you know, taking Washington down to minus one uh, would be a leg. And then I really don't know what I do for the other leg. Um, I, I looked at the board and I was like, these, none of these are appealing to me. I actually would rather play alternate spreads in the other direction and play mm -hmm. to, to benefit from the variance. And so my favorite one of those would be if you can get the Niners like minus nine and a half plus 270 right now, the best line out there is plus 250, but wait until books populate alternate lines. You might see it, um, especially if the line keeps moving down. But I think, I think that there's real uh, untapped blowout potential for the 49ers in that game. If, if their defense is as dominant as it was last year and the Steelers offense was reliant on uh, running the ball successfully in order to set up their offense, this could be a, a, 
a game where the Steelers do nothing on offense. And we know the 49ers can, can always score with that Shanahan system, and all the weapons they have. So, so that would be, I'm kind of cheating on your question cause I'm not doing a teaser, but I would rather play the other way and, and get the, the plus money alternate spread. All right. Well, I hear you on being cautious with teasers, especially early in the season and alternate spreads when variances at its highest can be a more advantageous way to look at things. I'll note Washington, you mentioned taking them down to minus one. That's a game against the depleted Cardinals. So I think that's going to be a pretty popular teaser, like especially if some sevens become seven and a halfs. Again, it's better to tease down to one than one and a half, but a lot of betters like myself are kind of programmed to look to tease through seven and three rather than starting at seven and working down. So if Washington becomes even a heavily juiced seven point favorite rather than seven and a half, that could probably open up more interest. But I hear you on that Niners look as well. And uh, I think you're really going to love the teaser that I settled in on if I had to bet one right now. I basically started by looking at games that do cross through that corridor of three and seven in a two team six point teaser. And right now, the four options, if we're just being formulaic about it, the four options that that spits out would be Cleveland plus five hosting Cincinnati, Cleveland, excuse me, up to plus seven and a half hosting Cincinnati, Pittsburgh up to plus eight and a half hosting San Francisco, uh, Green Bay. Hang on. Did I mix up my home teams here, Sharp Clark? I think I did. You probably know better than Green I Bay's do. on the road, but they're plus, they could get up to plus seven and a half, maybe plus eight, some spots. Yeah. Green Bay plus eight at Chicago. And then uh, the Jets plus eight and a half hosting the Bills on Monday night to wrap up week one. So uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Green Bay, and the Jets were like the four teams that kind of fit the classic Wong teaser model. And from there, for me, it was a process of elimination where Green Bay is one of those high-variance teams. I think Jordan Love is a big X-factor to their season. And with teasers, as you said, we want low variance. So I'll talk more on Green Bay in a bit, but for now, we don't want them in a week one teaser. And then with the Jets, I feel like the hype train is starting to approach its peak. And we've got, I think, some recency bias that you've called out against the Bills across much of the marketplace for the way they ended last season, that home playoff no-show against the Bengals. But I don't want to tease the Jets right now. Also, Bookmaker, a very sharp offshore is shaded toward three. So it's not even like you're getting a clean cross through the three. So by scrapping Green Bay and the Jets, that left me with Cleveland plus seven and a half against the Bengals and your beloved Pittsburgh Steelers plus eight and a half against San Francisco. In the first leg, I just feel like if we're looking Cleveland's way, I did not intend to turn this into a love fest for the Browns. <laughs> uh, more so here, considering asymmetric risk around Burrow's injury, especially week one if he's not full strength. I feel like if this line moves, it's more likely going to move in Cleveland's favor. So I like getting them through the seven while we can. And then if we're looking at Pittsburgh, San Francisco, uh, I don't take anything away from your handicaps of these two teams, but more from a mathematical standpoint, we're looking at a low total here, 41, the third lowest total on the board. And I think that really magnifies the relative value of each point we get in a teaser. I mean, whether the total is 41 or 51, you still get six points. That means a lot more at 41, crossing through again, those key numbers of three and seven. So I think San Francisco may well win. I just like getting uh, more than a touchdown with the Steelers. So my look will yeah. be Cleveland plus seven and a half against the Bengals, Pittsburgh plus eight and a half against the 49ers. And uh, we already know what you think of it based on your comments on the Browns and Steelers thus far. No, I, I just want to say validly, the math is there. Absolutely. Like that's, that's a very, very solid argument. I also gun to my head. Cleveland would be the other leg that I paired with Washington. So. All right, there we go. At least something positive about the Browns from you in this conversation as well. I will take that and run with it. And let's also talk some props. Week one props, of course, not available yet. So Sharp Clark, I'm wondering if there's anything week one that you would anticipate betting from a prop standpoint, or if there's a season long prop bet that you like at this stage. Yeah, I went season long. I, I don't bet props, so take this with a grain of salt. Every, all the side stuff we talk about, all the futures, they're like actual things I'm betting and, and giving out. But for props, it's more like, you know, storylines that I can get on board with or players I think are under overrated. And it's Desmond Ritter uh, over, you can get over 2,500 yards passing for minus 112 on FanDuel and over 15 and a half touchdowns plus 100 on DraftKings. I think people are underestimating the how how pass heavy the Falcons are going to be this year. I, I think they're just assuming they're just going to run the ball all day. Um, I also think they're underestimating how good Ritter will be. I mean, with Drake London, who is an elite receiver, flashed really, really high talent as a rookie entering a second year when, when rookie receivers tend to take a big step. Kyle Pitts, super talented tight end, 
B. John Robinson, the way the Falcons offense is going to create nightmares for defenses, you know, like if you're lined up and you've got, you know, two running backs, you've got B. John Robinson and Cordero Patterson, you've got two tight ends with uh, Jonah Smith and, and Kyle Pitts, and then you've got Drake Lennon on the outside. You have to stack the box on defense because Atlanta's just going to run the ball at you and run the ball successfully behind that offensive line. Mm-hmm. So you stack the box on defense, you load up, and then, you know, Bijan Robinson splits wide, Kyle Pitts splits wide. Now you've got three receivers essentially against a big, heavy defense, and you've created mismatches all over the place for Desmond Ritter to exploit. Um, I think this is an offense that's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be much more successful than people are giving them credit for, and these numbers are just too low. I, th- I think this is a season where Ritter really succeeds. I think you gave a fair caveat at the outset and you made a pretty compelling case for Ritter here. If there's anybody out there who like you has already gotten some exposure on the Falcons in the futures market, regular season wins, anything potentially in the conference or to win the Super Bowl, wanting to also keep bankroll management in mind. If you really did like this Ritter prop as much as you like some team futures, how would you go about spreading things out or just knowing where to pick your spots to make sure that you're betting something that you consider actionable without getting overexposed on highly correlated outcomes? Yeah. I mean, my max exposure that I really want on any one team in the futures market is like 2% of my bankroll for the NFL. Um, And so I had, you know, I had, I had 1.5% on, on season wins. I had, 0.38% 0.38% on division, or sorry, I had 0.2% on division. I had a small bit on uh, NFC and then a small bit on best record. Um, and so really, as long as I stand to that 2%, I don't really mind correlating those. Uh, because if I'm completely wrong, I lose 2%, which is one bet, essentially, during the season. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that cut type of exposure. And you also came in on the Falcons under eight and a half. So maybe you can use that exposure right there to then get in play on these Ritter props as well. Yeah. As long as you don't tie up too much of your bankroll that you want to be using throughout the year. I'm I'm at the point where like I'm seeing bets I like and I'm looking at my bankroll and saying, you know, the last two years, I haven't started off all that hot during the regular season. Like I kind of want to keep a cushion just in case and and kind of limiting my exposure at this point in the offseason. Well, to that end, I will go ahead and look at a prop that I anticipate betting for week one. Again, pending prices to be announced at sportsbooks across the board. But this is one I kind of consider a props and hop special. Let's look at shortest touchdown under one and a half yards for that season opener, the Chiefs and the Lions. For me, it starts by looking at this game, having the highest total on the slate for week one, 54, the highest total by a pretty good amount more points, good for the odds of more touchdowns, more touchdowns being good for the odds of at least one touchdown coming from the one yard line. And I know it can sound weird to a lot of betters who haven't considered an angle like this before, but one yard touchdowns are a lot more common than they might seem at face value. It can seem like a very specific yardage number and a lot might have to fall into place, but between penalties in the end zone or just as teams get goal to go situations, I think we see the field really get compressed near the goal line. So a lot of times the ball even if it's just outside the one kind of between the one and the two following NFL.com grading over the years, almost anything with the ball inside the two yard line would be graded as a one yard touchdown. So there are a lot of paths to get there. I feel like oddly the chiefs were my kryptonite for this bet in 2020 when I started really honing in on it. Since then, I think they've really improved when it comes to getting creative with their goal line passing game. Initially they had just drafted Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and were just running him right into a brick wall that he was never getting through. That's changed in a positive way. And if the Lions manage to get down near the goal line, they've been a cash cow for this type of bet, given their ground game in the trenches from short yardage, again, right down near the goal line. Target price here, again, very price dependent. I'm looking for minus 155 or better, and I'm confident that we'll see it for those who have the ability to shop around across at least two or three different books. I do think a lot of the sharper books that post this prop will close closer to minus 185. So let's keep an eye out at minus 155 or better. Let's go with Chiefs-Lions, shortest touchdown, under one and a half yards. And let's just root for a Lions one-yard touchdown to also benefit your Detroit ticket in pocket against the spread. Yeah, nothing better than action on NFL opening night. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, plenty to look forward to with opening night and just a gauntlet to come after that. And to zoom back out a bit and keep the perspective in mind to make this season as optimal as possible from a betting standpoint. I also try to remember that from season to season, it's so fun to look at these bets and start to think we've all got it figured out to your point. We're often wrong about more than we could imagine. We just don't know what the specifics are yet that we don't quite have figured out. And it just always reminds me that 
pretty much the only constant in this league from year to year is change. 2020, the first year I did this podcast, there was a low crowd factor, if any, in stadiums across the league. Scoring went way up. Since then, we've seen a lot of defenses concede efficiency to limit explosiveness, and that's brought scoring back down. I, I wonder, just keeping in mind those recent changes or anything else, Sharp Clark, is there anything early on this coming season that you'll be watching for particularly closely to inform your betting approach and maybe make some changes sooner rather than later? A lot of it has to do with how offenses are structured. So teams with new offensive coordinators, teams with new quarterbacks, teams that might be making over the way they run their offense, like maybe the Bills, they they kind of saw, you know, they needed to beef up this year. So they went and got a tight end who can who immediately plug into their offense. I expect them to run a lot of bigger sets, uh, things like that. So so I'm looking for teams that, that undergo a fundamental change on offense um, and to see how that translates to success against like you said, the way the way NFL teams play defense these days, because um, because that's where I think the biggest surprises end up. Like we saw Kevin O'Connell change the way the Vikings ran their offense. We saw Brian Dable and Kafka and in New York, uh, you know, we saw the Seahawks change with a new quarterback last year. These are the types of things that tend to be the biggest uh, sort of year to year surprises. And, and that's what my my eyes and ears are tuned to early in the season. Yeah, on my end, similarly, while there have been some fundamental changes to the scoring environment in recent years, I'm wide open to that happening again, but I'm looking less that way, at least consciously right out of the gate and more toward areas where I'm really intrigued, um, I think much more than in a typical season by young quarterbacks with big question marks on otherwise rosters that appear to be really solid. So we've talked about Desmond Ritter, Jordan Love. I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons and or the Packers end up making deep playoff runs, I wouldn't be surprised if both teams miss the playoffs by a pretty wide margin. So tying back to our earlier point about embracing fat tails with futures, I've taken out small flyers on Atlanta for Arthur Smith to win coach of the year at 16 to one green Bay to win the NFC North at four to one to win the conference at 28 to one. And I'm guessing that from actively disagreeing with my Brown Super Bowl future to not hating some of the bets in between. <laughs> Maybe we've finally gotten to the point, Sharp Clark, where there's there's strong and active agreement on those kinds of looks. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I, like uh, people gave me a lot of flack for this. I, I posted that I that I have the Packers winning the NFC this year. I, I bet them 30 to one. You know, yeah, like obviously 50-50 shot between the Eagles and the Packers. The Eagles I, is where my money would be. But the NFL involves a lot of variance and we have to be willing to stretch our minds to see how, what shape that variance can take. And I think Jordan love is set up for success on this team. Um, and I think people underestimate what he's going to be capable of this year. He could also flame out completely, but if he's good, we've seen it with Patrick Mahomes after a year of sitting down, you know, we, we've seen it with Aaron Rodgers after he sat down, we've seen it with so many players over the years. Sometimes they just, gained that that maturity by sitting on the bench and they come into the league ready the way a rookie doesn't um and i think we could see that out of out of uh, jordan love this year i wouldn't be surprised either i think that gives us a lot of good food for thought as far as this upcoming nfl season is confirmed and now we can weave in a couple more pillars of the show as we hit the home stretch the hops and the molinsky minute Starting with the hops, Sharp Clark, what would you say has been your best drinking experience this offseason? And it definitely doesn't have to be beer related. could be uh, anything across the board. Yeah. So I, I think we talked maybe the first time about how I make cocktails. Um, and I, the cocktail that I really I got into was, uh, I call it Aris. I kind of made it up. But it's basically like uh, three ounces of sake, an ounce of gin, uh, some elderflower liqueur, some ginger liqueur, some lime, and then some crushed up lemongrass. Uh, kind of shake it up, put it in a coupe glass, and it's it's so good. And it's like, I just like coming up with stuff that I maybe haven't seen in a restaurant before, and then being like, if I bought this in a restaurant, like I would be happy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my most recent uh, creation that I've been enjoying. Jeez. All right. Well, if I can ever get out to your neck of the woods, that sounds like a real treat, something you can't get anywhere else. And I I will go with something that you can't get anywhere in the United States, at least some recency bias on my part, for sure. But a place I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Amitsin in Vienna, my recent trip there, this place was phenomenal. Uh, It's spelled A-M-M-U-T-S-O-N for anybody who's going to be in Austria or aspires to be there anytime soon. 
And the beer was definitely phenomenal. I had a really good hazy pale ale with mosaic and citra hops, a German alt beer aged in Pinot Noir barrels, and then a world-class Lambic, which is a Belgian sour beer with raspberry added. It just, everything was strong across the board. But going beyond the beer, I think that sometimes it's important to take into account a place like this has a really warm and welcoming build out, exceptional customer service. And then sometimes beyond the environment you're in, just thinking internally, an X factor here was my own frame of mind. I think that was the most relaxed and at ease I felt in one and a half weeks in Europe with my wife. We had our best conversation of the trip, in my opinion, while we were there. It was our second to last night in Vienna, and we called a few audibles and made some great plans for our final day of the trip. So overall, I think it's a matter of the beer being just right, or in your case, the at-home concoction coming across just right, and also just really being in the right space to make the most of being in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. Well said. All right. Well, let's move on to the Malinsky Minute to take us home here. And I'll make this a two-parter. First up, Dave was famous for knowing when to pick his spots. He was no stranger to the grind, but when he could, he would also get off the grid, go for epic heights on Mount Charleston, and just embrace life beyond the betting boards. So, Sharp Clark, how would you describe your best off-the-grid experience this NFL offseason? Yeah, so I, I took a road trip with my wife to Moab, uh, to Arches National Park. We went hiking and just sitting out by the sun and and unplugging the computer, you know, disconnecting from my work email and not looking at, you know, any NFL video or anything. It was uh, it was a fantastic time, like hiking out there. There's just so many beautiful spots and it's so remote, you know, like you you can't get there by accident. You can't get there on the way to somewhere. Uh, because you have to take off the highway and drive for like 45 minutes to even get there. So nobody is there by accident. Um, and so that kind of made it for a cool environment to be hiking and, and spending time with my wife and very, very refreshing. Very Like I love being outdoors. Um, and so being in an environment that is new to me with sites that I haven't seen before and getting the exercise of hiking, it was all just perfect. Yeah, that's near the top of my list. I was fortunate last summer with my wife to get out to Utah and we were able to check out Zion and Bryce Canyon. We weren't able to weave arches into the trip, but that that's something we definitely hope to get back to sooner rather than later. Yeah, we went to Zion the very first summer we met. So this was our second time down there. Nice. Yeah, there, there's a lot to love about that part of the country. And I'll go even closer to your neck of the woods. Not so much recency bias as I answer this question. Back in March, I saw Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band in Denver, and it was my first time seeing Bruce. I will admit this is not getting off the grid to the extent of Dave's epic Mount Charleston hikes or, or the trip that you just described to a national park. But a common thread you kind of touch on, no screen time, being out of the house, I was with the person I love the most, seeing a concert of which I know Dave would approve. So an experience like that was just unforgettable. And I know there are precious few opportunities during the NFL season to go to another state for a couple of days and see a concert or, or take an epic road trip like that. Um, I mean, when I say precious few for a lot of serious betters, there are zero opportunities like that in season. So I think it's great during the off season to capitalize on those opportunities anytime they present themselves. Definitely. As we look ahead to the season to come, I know that there can be a bit of a delicate balance trying to get excited for the season and at the same time make a game plan to prepare ourselves to make the best possible decisions, not get burned out. And to that end, Sharp Clark, how would you describe your approach to balancing the grind of NFL betting over the course of six months or so to come with mental, physical, just overall wellness, again, thinking about life beyond the betting boards? It's a very important consideration. And it's simple for me, at least. I sleep a lot consistently i What's try to eat what is What's a lot what? like do you get a certain number of hours every night like yeah how specific does this get for you i'm usually asleep uh i try to be asleep by 9 or 9 30 waking up at six um awesome. so yeah so a good amount of sleep um eating eating healthy you know not if i'm drinking it's usually earlier so like try to have like a happy hour i don't drink late before bed um, I try to meditate, but that doesn't always happen. Exercise is huge and being outdoors is huge. So if I'm doing those things, if I'm, I'm making those a priority, um, and then along with never forgetting that the number one priority in my life is my family, my wife, that that's why I wake up every morning and, and the football stuff is like 
so fun and very important to me, frankly, but it's not the most important thing to me. And, and so whenever, you know, I have a rough week or things don't go my way or whatever, it's just comforting to remember that like my purpose ultimately is not the football thing. It's something else. Um, and that really gives me, I think the, like the mental health boost and the the grounding that I need to get through the grind. Um, and then towards the end of the season, uh, speaking of my wife, we, we usually go on several ski trips towards the end of the season where we go out for the weekend into the mountains and go snowboarding for several days. And I find the, the mix of exercise with being outdoors and the sort of like, physical feeling of of like pushing yourself to the edge um in a different way is is very good for my my mental health as well so so those are the things that i prioritize um outside of that i'm i'm watching film and i'm i'm you know trying to build up the bankroll as much as possible yeah i would like to underscore that point about uncoupling your identity from whatever happens on the betting side of things i think to an extent it's always going to affect you as a human if things are going great you'll feel better if things are going poorly things won't feel as good outside of football but trying to be as conscious as possible of life in other areas much more important areas sometimes i feel like that can be liberating and and without being able to put my finger on it i would bet that a lot of betters who have the best balance and don't fully hitch their identity to betting often having that mental freedom can probably give them the ability to see things and make decisions in even more advantageous ways from a betting standpoint than those who are all in on betting and only betting. Yeah, definitely. It, it's, I think that the, the skills that make you the most successful better aren't always the math skills or the analytical skills. Like sometimes it's things that you balance that with. Um, I will add that another thing that I do is read books that are not about football and not about betting. Um, sometimes they might be tangentially stimulant to my thoughts about betting and football. Um, so it's like, you know, books about math or books about, you know, the way that we think and the biases that we have. Like, I love reading those kinds of things, uh, because it's a break from what we're doing day to day, but it also can really help you, uh, in those pursuits by doing something that's just kind of tangential to the pursuit itself. I also really enjoy books about how we make decisions and there are often parallels to betting. And even when there aren't, it can just be fascinating and relevant to other walks of life along those lines. Are there any books that you've read recently or you have high on your reading list that you would recommend to others? Yeah. I recently read a book called rebel ideas that I really, really liked. I posted a couple screenshots on Twitter from the book, but it was just, the book was about how diversity of thinking within groups can be beneficial um, and make you bet like more aware of, you know, better, solutions to complex problems but applying it in ways to the way i think about sports betting i found really really interesting like for example uh i'm gonna go off a tangent here i, I hope i'm not going too long but the, there was this chapter about the um the, the airline the u.s air force planes were crashing a bunch in the 40s um, and they were wondering why they're trying to figure it out and what they had done is they had standardized every cockpit uh based on the average pilot size so average neck length average arm length average you know torso all that kind of stuff and because they did it based on a, a composite average of all pilots, the cockpit didn't fit any pilots individually because just because what the average says is not what any individual pilot is. They are built differently in different ways. And I think the way that sometimes we think about statistics in the NFL is we always use these averages We're we're, we're talking about regressing to the mean and even using median like these things don't take into account the specific circumstances that led to those numbers in each individual circumstance. Uh, and I think that can really liberate your thinking. And in the U.S. airline case, it was, or the Air Force case, it was uh, designing, you know, cockpits that you could adjust based on the size of the specific pilot. And in my case, it's about understanding how to adjust for, you know, mean regression based on the way different uh, t types of teams or players are built. So. I love that parallel, and I will just tie a bow around this topic by noting that it came to mind for me to ask you this because I myself got it at Bet Bash. I, I got it after Bet Bash as well from somebody else who I didn't even know until quite recently. And I, I think that trying to balance things can be such a moving target, especially once the season picks up for so many of us. So I try to maintain a constant effort of being intentional with how I allocate my time and energy. And I put this in the Malinsky minute because Dave was as intentional and as purposeful as anybody I've ever met with his action. I feel like there's a reason he was able to get done way more than the rest of us who got the same 24 hours in a day. 
And I'll note that not all days, not all weeks are equal. Having a full-time job, like you touched on, trying to prioritize physical health, family life. I think I'm slowly getting better with time at gauging how I feel and deciding when it's time to push forward and when it might be time to back off. Often, I think of myself as a very disciplined person, and that can mean persisting in whatever you think needs to be done. But I heard something that really blew my mind recently. I was listening to Ryan Holiday, who's a very prolific author and also the host of the Daily Stoic podcast. And he made a reference. It was kind of offhand, but it stopped me in my tracks. Sometimes discipline means not doing the thing. And I think that just like betting, it can be more art than science to implement that in life. But I think my focus between now and the Super Bowl, feel free to hold me accountable in six months, but looking to see where I can pick spots to maximize efficiency and overall output by minimizing exhaustion and diminishing returns that come from the lack of discipline to know when to stop doing the thing. Yeah, definitely. Hugely important. All right. Well, Sharp Clark, really appreciate the time here. I want to wrap up by reinforcing that for those who are not doing so already a must follow on twitter at sharp clark nfl that's clark with an e at the end of it and you can also follow his work on four for four check out the move the line podcast once again always enjoy these conversations hope to have many more in the months and years to come thank you today for the time and insight yeah thanks matt always always a great time chatting with you and to those of you watching and listening, thank you for your time. A quick programming note to take us home here. I'll be shifting next week to a Friday schedule for week one. And we'll look to go live on Twitter and YouTube as much as possible in season to integrate questions and comments in real time. And until then, everybody, enjoy these final moments of the offseason and the first game of the year between Detroit and Kansas City on Thursday night. I'll see you again next Friday to break down the rest of the NFL week one card. <laughs>